Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today, it really is a pleasure to welcome back onto the show, Patrick Dunn, who I should point out was our first ever guest. Over two years ago, he was our first ever guest. He's been a supporter ever since, and it's always a pleasure to speak with him. Patrick wears many hats, but he is the chair of the EY Foundation. He's also the chair of ESSA, Education Sub-Saharan Africa, and he's the author of Boards, looking at board dynamics and corporate boards in many different ways. He has almost or around 30 years experience at 3i in private equity space. He's someone I consider a friend. And today we are going to be talking about boards, board dynamics, particularly within nonprofits and social enterprises. Before we kick things off, a big heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI, who are an artificial intelligence powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. In 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI-for-good company. And coincidentally, Patrick Dunn, who's joining us today on the show, is the chair of Education Sub-Saharan Africa, ESSA, and Quilt AI have been doing some great collaboration with them, some research on employability. So that's that's an interesting uh, connecting the dots for you. So without further ado, Patrick... A big heartfelt welcome onto our show today. Thanks, uh, Alberto. It's great to see how well uh, the podcast is doing, and, and uh, some of the people you've had on, I've, I've learned a huge amount from uh, from them. So, uh, it, uh, really, a great pleasure to take part. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's good to have you back. Tell us a little bit about boards, um, the book, and then let's get into some of the challenges that we face with boards in different in different ways. Yeah. So, yeah. Why did I write the book? Well, I thought there was a there was a gap in the market, and I felt you know most of us learn the art of being on a board by being on a board, and and historically there was very little development. There's much more available now, but what I thought was missing was a sort of basic companion, a practical companion, not the theory necessarily, but you know how do you do this stuff, um, and how do you how do you build a board? How do you make it effective? How does that work with the executive? And, and so I came up with the idea of doing something which was really just a, a practical companion for people. And it's kind of split into four sections. So purpose, people and process. And then half of the book are real uh, real examples, real case studies, which you can work through. And a number of those are in the social sector. Great, great. What are some of the main challenges with boards? Is there any top line summary that you could give us? Look. If, if you had to remember, be aware of, keep an eye of blind spots, these are the two or three things when it comes to boards you really got to watch out for. I think, I mean, one of the reasons I, I, I started the book around purpose, people and process was I think, you know, there's often a confusion about what the board is for. There's often a confusion between the role of the board and the role of the executive. So I think that's a sort of starting point. Uh, you know, 
very important and very obvious is you've got to have the right people working together in the right way. So you've got to, you know, you've got to compose a board with that, with, with that in mind. And good, simple process. So not over-process, but good, simple, effective process can really up the effectiveness of a board. So I think those are the three things I would have in my, in my mind, purpose, people, and process. Mm-hmm. And that relationship between the chief executive and the board, and let me throw one additional component there, which would be the senior management team. One of the things I hear quite a bit from, from board members, from CEOs, and from senior managers is that communication channel between those senior management team members and board members directly, which often might bypass the CEO. And some CEOs feel very protective about those relationships. But on the other side, some of them are quite comfortable with them, feeling that they are empowering their senior managers to communicate directly with board members. Tell me a little bit about that dynamic and what's appropriate and what you see. Yeah, so uh, as you probably know, Alberto, I'm a mathematician by background and I have a great love of the work of John Venn, the Venn diagram being the sort of most uh, well-known of, of his things. But I imagine this this relationship between the board and the exec and the chair and the chief exec uh, being a bit like different stages of a Venn diagram. So if you can imagine the two circles not interlocking at all, they live in a parallel universe, they don't really communicate effectively that's not very good. If you can imagine the other end of the spectrum where the two circles are almost completely overlapping, you know, the chair is trying to do the CEO's job. Uh, that's very counterproductive as well. But that state in the middle where you've got, you know, clear roles for each of the board and the exec, the chair, or the CEO, and you've got a decent intersection. That's the sort of place to get yourself in. How do you get there? Well, I mean, I guess the first thing is to, to talk and to be clear and to agree what the roles are. I think a problem for many boards is everyone assumes they know what the board is for, they know what the exec are doing. So, I mean, my, in my simplistic world, I, I kind of split what the board does into making sure there's the right vision and strategy, the right resources and the right governance. And for the exec, it's all about developing and delivering the business plan with input and support from others and maintaining financial and operational integrity. And I think if you're having those conversations around what do you do, what do we do, then the bit in the middle becomes clear. One practical way that, that many boards use now to, to get that, that, that bit in the middle clear, and of course, during a pandemic that's grown, that intersection, is basically to say, you know, what are the big things we need to get right this year? What are the big decisions we need to take? How are we going to make those decisions? When are we going to make those decisions? Who's going to get involved in them? And I think through that dialogue, you avoid this, you know, the board and the execs only interactions being in a board meeting. You know, it's, it goes beyond that. And we've certainly seen that in COVID where the level of both oversight and support boards have needed to, to provide has, has been increased. It'll be interesting to see where that intersection settles back down uh, after a while. I think it already is... Uh, a, a bit. Um, but I think good communication, trust, respect, and actually non-execs, uh, trustees in a, in, in a charity context, delivering value increases the respect they're held with by the management, which increases their influence when they need to influence the management. So there's a sort of virtuous mm -hmm. circle in that do they, too. Do they trust in, within a non-profit board? And for our listeners, just to clarify, uh, in the UK, for instance, board members in a, in a and a charity would be called trustees, not necessarily right. directors. Were. Yeah. Um, 
Is there much of a difference between board members within a for-profit context versus a non-profit context? And, and let's look at the value they actually add. Well, I mean, I think context always influences how people behave, what sort of people thrive and so on. Yeah, even within the corporate sector, there's a big difference between being a board member in a big listed you know, FTSE 100 company like 3i uh, or a, a small fledgling fledging startup. You, you know, different things are required of the board members. The fundamentals stay the same, but, you know, they need to have good judgment. Um, they've got to have good interpersonal skills to bring those judgments to bear. And most of all, I think they need really good antennae so they can figure out what's what, what what's going on within and outside of the outside of the company. So the context does influence things. Mm-hmm. I think the um, the days of you know people joining a board to help at the end of their career and uh, just just turning up and giving some you know good wise advice every now and then are gone you know the social sector is a serious sector and if you just make the mental sort of transformation from profit to impact you know whereas in a business you know in 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 the business i was in for a long time you know it's all about value creation plans i think i just made the switch to it's all about impact creation plans um and if you think in the, in that way you know you've got to have a vision you've got to have a strategy you've got to have an operating model you've got to have business model you know all of that it, it, it can just be I mean, it's like a sort of transformation really just just with different language but the principles are pretty much the same very interesting now in terms of how we define profit that's fairly straightforward and the accounting rules behind that again i think pretty pretty clear cut however with regards to impact and you touched on it in terms of impact creation what you qualify as impact might differ than what i qualify as impact and then if we take that one step further and we're looking at the operational landscape for a nonprofit where there isn't a profit maximization motive, where incentives are not the same as in the private sector, where market pressures are not exactly the same, they might be distorted. You might have um, nonprofits who are catering to a market that's oversupplied and there isn't any consolidation in that industry because there are no activist shareholders or hostile takeovers. Tell me a little bit about the board and how they might look at strategy in a context where 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 the objectives may not be as clear cut. They might be opaque. They might be a bit fuzzy. Yeah. So, and, and of course, impact is easier to measure for some sorts of social uh, impact than, than than others. So, uh, at Leap, um, where, where I was chair for many years and now I'm patron. You know, we work with young offenders. We work with young people who are finding it hard to manage conflict. So how, how do you measure the impact for that? You know, and, and sometimes some of these things can take 10 years before you really know you've had real impact. But you can measure waypoints. So if you're working with young prisoners, you can, you know, you can measure the change in behavior. You can measure the fact that they're now going on employability programs they weren't before. You can measure whether they take part in a through the gates program. They get a job. They don't reoffend, so there are components, elements of impact, and you can have waypoints along along the way. Whether your impact is going to be relatively uh, quick or, or or really slow, the hard bit for most charities is attribution. Uh, you know what what of that? So that person has changed, for example, but how much of that's really due to you? Particularly when there are multiple uh, types of support around the young person. I think for the board. 
I think the area where there's probably a great deal of opportunity in in the in the in the next phase, if you like, of development is around bangs per buck. So when we founded Warwick in Africa, um, I mean my my sort of uh, probably my sort of anal mathematician side going out, but I, I so we teach um, children in, in in slums and rural areas of poverty in Africa, and we and we train teachers. Um, and so I was really interested in, you know, what's it cost us to teach a child for a month, uh, you know, as we started. And, and we worked out that, you know, in the, in the first month, we were now 15 years old, but the first month that cost was around £44 per child per month. Uh, now, and actually we're having better impact per child, but now that cost is below £10. So we can help, you know, four and a half times the number of children that we helped in when we first started. And, and we should do because we should know more what we're doing now. Uh, we're a bigger scale uh, and so on. But I, I think sometimes we don't think about uh, our, our social uh, activity in, in that way. And then when you've got different programs, you can look and see, well, you know, of those things that we do, which are the ones where we seem to be making the biggest difference and the economics are better as well it's not always the case that you know the things that that produce the the, the lowest cost are the best things to do we know that from our consumer world um, you know and sometimes you have to fund things that that no one will fund at that point but you just believe they're right and you, you've got to wait for the evidence to come through to prove it um, but at least you've got to try to get that evidence I think um, Boards really need to know what impact they're trying to create, what impact are they creating, and, and there should be a restless gene in the board that's about you know, how can we create even more impact per hour we spend or per dollar we spend or, or, or whatever it is. I think if you have that restlessness around you know, improving your impact, then, um, that, then that's very healthy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, that all seems pretty sensible. You're, you're obviously an experienced board member and you are a mathematician and you have 30 years private equity experience. So quantifying a challenge and trying to allocate a value to, to a solution might be instinctive to you. Uh, other board members perhaps don't have your background, perhaps are not as experienced. Question to you is how aligned do you find board members within nonprofits actually being with each other and with the organization? And I ask this because sometimes you find organizations where there's a vision and mission that seems to be rewritten every six months, or there seems to be one mission and vision that's formally published. But if you approach each individual board member, they give you a completely different version of what that is, if they are indeed aware of what the formal version is. So the question then is, how do you see things? Yeah, so I think the role of the chair is absolutely critical in this. And the strength of the relationship that they have with the CEO is, is a really important aspect of, of that. And so I think in terms of alignment, I think the way that you add people to the board matters a lot. And actually adding people... Um, you know, as you go. So I think boards are permanently in transition. That's always my mindset that, you know, I'm always on the lookout for, you know, who might be the next person that might be able to help us 
get to that get to that next level. So you're recruiting board members that you know um, with a particular end in end in mind. I think in terms of diversity, I think um, there are some things that come easier to us and some things that come hard. So there's some things I find really difficult, and so I'm always conscious that. Uh, you know, in terms of adding people, that they have to be additive to the culture of the board uh, and additive to the skill set and knowledge of the board uh, and the sort of perspectives that they that they they might have. Um, I found it incredibly useful in uh, in many of the things that I've been involved in to have you know more young people on the board as well. So you know, EY Foundation, for example. You know, we have a youth advisory board as well, and the chair and the vice chair of that are on the board. You know, at LEAP, we have young trustees and and so on. And that has a, a kind of really good effect uh, on on other people. Um, the other thing is, is really, given that in, in most of the world, um, you know, social sector board members are not paid, um, they, you know, you have to understand their motivation. So why are they doing this? Uh, are they doing this because there's a connection to the cause? Uh, are they doing this because it looks good? Uh, are they doing this because of the network uh, that that will bring? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, you see people on, on charity boards and, and, and their sole aim seems to be, you know, just networking with the people who are also on the board and not actually connected to it. You need to sniff all that out in the recruitment process, I think. Um and it's quite fascinating in the recruitment processes that, that 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 I have in the things where I chair, which are mostly involved in the sort of education and, and disadvantage area. I've found having young people, uh, beneficiaries particularly, involved in the selection process is a brilliant way of sniffing all that out. Because if a person can't empathise with that young person, doesn't get those issues, that might be just because they haven't experienced them but they have the personality that they will, or it might be just they're never going to get it. Um, and I found um, I mean, young people can be incredibly perceptive around those, those issues. So I found that quite helpful. But motive is really important. Mm. Now you're referencing a scenario, a recruitment process that seems quite transparent, quite, uh, um, well, inclusive in terms of the different voices that are involved in it. Now that perhaps is, your state of affairs but there are other organizations where they're out on the lookout for a new trustee or a new director and the system and the process could not be more opaque it sort of begs the question how on earth is that process happening there's no way of getting visibility into it and then you end up with a trustee who may be great or maybe otherwise but that's how a lot of organizations operate tell us a little bit about that yeah, so I think there's a natural human tendency to want to sort of go within our orbit, if I can put it that way. So, you know, people we know, people like us, and there are some great strengths in that, but there's also some big weaknesses in, in that. Uh, and I think there's nothing wrong with putting someone into a process who you know, as long as that's genuine. So, you know, search terms will tell you there's a lot of people who put people into processes and they're the one that's going to get the job. Uh, they're the one that's going to get picked, but they have to be seen to have a process. So they they have a process. Um, so if it's not genuine, I think you know why waste your time on 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 search fees? Why not just appoint the person if you're not? That, that would be my, my view. But um, 
I think it's so important if you're chair, you know, to get the right people on the board. Uh, I mean, I've been incredibly lucky. So, for example, at ESSA, we, we just, um, uh, well, a, a year or more ago, we, we appointed three, um, three fantastic um, uh, trustees. Um, they all happen to be women. Um, and initially, uh, we had to appoint them um, without meeting them. So we used a search firm to do this, but we, you know, we had the Zoom type meetings, which was uh, felt a bit strange. Um, but actually, they've all turned out to be to be really good. They're all very different characters. They have very different sort of experiences and and and, and backgrounds. Um, but they all absolutely got what we were about very quickly, um, and all had something in a different way that they could clearly demonstrably bring value to um, to to what we were doing. Um, it was a you know it was a decent process. You know we had a lot of people interested in uh, in being board members. Again, we had young people involved in in the process. Um, and uh, again, that <clears throat> that worked well for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A question that comes up quite a bit, and perhaps it's a sort of there being a, a, a noticeable difference between how things are done in, in North America versus here in the UK. Um, not always, but it's uh, a question that comes up a lot is about the role of that board member and whether they should themselves be actively supporting the organization in some sort of philanthropic way, or at least opening up their networks to make sure that the right people are introduced to the organization. How important is that? How prevalent is that? Give us a little bit of your insight. Yeah. So I think one of the balance is a really important word in, in, in lots of respects. But in this respect, I think that balance between oversight and support, that balance between objectivity and being a friend, so being critical is really important. So I think um, my view is that, that every board member should be doing all they can uh, to support the, the growth of the organisation. And if that means you know, opening their address book, making introductions, reinforcing introductions, helping them convert things, then they should be doing that. Um, however, they need to be doing more than that. So fundamentally, they need to be making sure they are making sure the organisation has got the right business strategy, it has got the right resources, and it has got the right governance. Um, but on the support side, I think especially during the last year, you know, all the, I mean, I've seen so many fantastic examples of people, you know, just doing things they weren't asked to do, but they've just introduced you know, uh, someone who can solve a problem for the organisation, someone who might actually be be a funder. Um, most trustees, if, if you take the UK context, or, or, or uh, and then if you take the, the, the US context, most board members will be donors as well, uh, often in a modest way. What you have to watch is that you don't want to not have someone on the board because they haven't got the, the personal wealth that would enable them to do that. So... I'm, I'm really clear with, um, with, with board members in, in recruiting that, you know, fantastic if they can, um, but, but it's not an expectation. Um, but it's quite interesting that pretty well all do, um, even if it's only modest, 
you know they're they're showing some sort of uh some sort of commitment the trap to fall into is to have that that very wealthy person who is a who's a, a nice donor um and but they're not a necessarily a good board member so i think you have to be clear what they are are they a donor and a great friend of the organization and you manage them in that way and you support them in that way and they support you uh, a board member is something different um so i think you know be clear what it is you're 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 recruiting i i've had approaches i mean i used to get a, a lot when i was at 3i where people would you know we'd love to have you on the board and and actually that that was just because they thought i could give them some money and i had some rich mates um and um you know there was no real interest in what i might be able to to do <laughs> um, it was sort of cynical and uh, so that had that had no interest for me uh, i was not interested in that yeah. um you know i, I want to do things i where i identify with the cause in a in a in a in a good objective in a, in a good objective way is that perhaps uh a nudge towards encouraging nonprofits to look both at having a formal board of trustees, board of directors, and then perhaps parallel to that with a different function, a development committee, a fundraising committee, something along those lines that doesn't have a necessarily constitutional statutory place, but place yeah. a role. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and 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 that's what a lot of a lot of social sector organisations do. They have they have those things. And actually, for some people, they don't want to get involved in the governance. They just they just like they like giving money. They like raising money, and and so actually respect that and let them do that. And don't don't get them all muddled up by making them a trustee and getting involved in things that they don't enjoy. Yeah. One question I always have is the power dynamic, and the power structure that that I see within different organizations and sometimes you see boards that are very powerful very united and a, and a, perhaps relatively speaking a weak CEO or executive director others I, and not that unusual you see a strong very strong chief executive and a board that barely knows each other and consequently that chief executive wields considerable power mm -hmm. and isn't necessarily put in check and balance the way a more uh, cohesive board might be inclined to do. Tell us a little bit about that, because I always found it very interesting, particularly in a setting that's not for profit, where it's not a profit maximizing uh, context. And consequently, there may be some risk aversion as well and different things like that within a management structure. Yeah, so um I, I, I often sort of have a, have a geometric example for, for this, uh, which is my, my favorite shape is a, is a triangle. And one of the things that's, that I imagine when I see a board, uh, if I'm observing a board and I'm helping them for the first time, for example, I, I think about what, what, what geometric sort of position are they in? Are they a triangle where they're all pointing in the same direction and all the arrows are towards one of the corners of the triangle? But there's enough degrees of difference so that there's that sort of energy restlessness you know, that sparks creativity, uh, you know, or, or are they just a straight line where they've either got a monarch as a CEO or a chair and, and, you know, what everyone else says does doesn't really make much difference. It's still going to be that or are they a rabble where all the arrows are pointing in the same direction within a within a circle? Uh, the route to your question is really the chair. Uh, if, if those negative things are happening, then that's the chair's responsibility to sort that out. Now, one 
one of the uh, the things in big public companies that you have is a senior independent director who's that person that you know if the chair isn't performing uh, institutions can you know let them know that they want they want something different they want a different approach in the social sector you know in charities in private there there often isn't that equivalent senior independent director that person you can go to so it's quite good if you have a, a kind of, even if they're not called it, a sort of senior trustee who supports the chair um, and actually can can have a word with the chair if required to say, look, you know, the management and the board seem to be disconnected. We need to get that connection back. Um, you know, do you want me to help you do that? Um, uh, that kind of thing. But you need. It doesn't have to be. You know, the the, the oldest. The, most impressive but someone needs to step up and say look this isn't really working as effectively as it could let's um you know let, let's do something about it um it, it, it's interesting i mean a, a number of people uh, use a board review or some sort of catalytic moment like that to to get to that solution um mm-hmm. y- you can tell when a when a ceo when you get approached and the ceo says you know can you can you you some advice about my board um or a you know or it's a chair or a trustee and and it's not you, you know there's an issue um and, and it's just about being a, a outing it and then dealing with it mm-hmm. and now uh, we we've covered a little bit about the for-profit world and the not-for-profit world and and the difference between those two um we need to touch a little bit on the social enterprise world. Tell us a little mm. bit about that. And I know you're a social entrepreneur yourself. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, many people just describe social enterprise in, in 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 different ways. But if you look at that spectrum from pure charity to sort of red meat business, they're kind of in the, in, in in the middle. Whether they're a business with a strong social purpose or a charity with a with a business activity, uh, that, that they're in that space. I think. Um, the key thing here is around back to what we were talking about earlier, really around impact and, uh, and profit. And if you have as a board a mindset where you have maybe you have eight KPIs and you know four of them are social KPIs and four of them are um, are commercial KPIs, uh, you need the commercial uh, performance to be there to be sustainable. And if you haven't got the social ones, then you're not a social enterprise. <laughs> um, and what's interesting, I think, COVID has probably accelerated this, is I think there's a societal urge, demand, trend, whatever you call it, to to sort of for businesses to become more social and actually for, uh, for charities to become a bit more commercial so they're more sustainable. So we're kind of morphing towards, uh, towards the middle. I mean, there's some very, very large social enterprises such as BRAC and, and, uh, and others, as you, as you know. I think, again, it's back to clarity. You know, so if we have this activity, what is the point? So at Leap, for example, we, we built, a, uh, built a very successful training activity, which provides a great source of unrestricted income and a great source of opportunities for the young people that we've trained to manage conflict more effectively to generate income for themselves and to, you know, to be fulfilled and have successful, successful careers. Uh, we, we had a simple matrix, which mm-hmm. as a board, which was when we were thinking about doing new things, you know, is, is it on mission? Uh, is it generating money? And it can be 
on mission and generating money as that training activity was, we tended not to do things that were just generating money. Um, uh, we because we were sort of fairly resource constrained, so we focused on the things which made money but also had some social purpose. So um, that that was the way that we reconciled those two things. But I think there's some some great work being done now. Uh, some great research that's been done around around these topics. Um, so it's much more developed now than than it was when when I was starting out on this stuff. Um, it was just very very crude, really. We had you know four social KPIs, four commercial KPIs, and and we had to be delivering on on all of them. Otherwise, you know, we we wouldn't have that wouldn't have that that yeah. Um, viability. Yeah. What's your um, what's your key takeaway for our listeners uh, around today's conversation, around today's context? You know, strip away all the crap that's talked about boards and focus on purpose, people, and process, and 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 you'll get there. Um, I think there's a lot of theory, a lot of talk uh, around boards, and and as you said earlier, I mean, getting that relationship with the executive right is really central to success. Mm, perfect. You've been listening to Patrick Dunn, who is an expert on board dynamics. He is uh, someone I consider a friend, and he shared a lot of insight with us today as well. He's the chair of EY Foundation, chair of education sub-Saharan Africa. And if you haven't already gotten your hands on his book, take a look. It's just titled Boards. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today on the Do One Better podcast. Really, it's always such a pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure too. Thanks very much, Alberto. Perfect, and that's a wrap. For a full transcript of today's conversation, please visit our website at liji.org, that's L-I-D-J-I dot org, where you'll also be able to find really interesting information on over 100 conversations with remarkable folks from social enterprise, philanthropy, sustainability. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please tell your friends, family, and colleagues about this show. We grow through word of mouth and your continued support. Thank you so very much, and I'll see you next week.